I would like this morning, if you would, to please read with me 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. Please join me. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day. Now, this is the very heart of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the core of what it means to be a Christian. Christ died to pay the penalty for our sins, and He rose again to conquer Satan, death, and hell, and provide us with new life. And what the Bible is saying to us is when we savingly believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, we become children of God. Now, such an important message that God God calls us to believe it cannot be given without evidence. When God calls us to believe in the Savior, He provides for us all the proof that we need. I've always liked the story about uh, the Sunday school teacher who had her little children before her on a Sunday morning. And she said to them, what is faith? What is faith? Well, little Johnny down on the front, of course, raised his hand as he always did, and and he had the answer. And so she said, okay, Johnny, tell us, what is faith? And he said, faith is believing in something even when you know it's not really true. No, faith is believing in something because you are confident it is true. That's what faith is. Now that is why in the Bible, the gospel writers labor to show us that these two core truths really happened. What we want to do this morning is we want to begin with the burial, uh, death and burial of Jesus. And then in a few moments we will come back and we will look at the resurrection of Jesus and then finally we will see what is the conclusion of it all. And so I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Mark 15. It is in page 1014 in your chair Bible. And let's begin where Mark begins with the burial of Jesus. And let's ask this question. Did Jesus really die? Look with me, if you would, at verse 42 of Mark 15. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Now, Mark is laboring here. 
is taking us deep into the burial of Jesus Christ for us to understand He really did die. Let's notice the things that Mark teaches us here this morning. Number one, the body is called a corpse. Did you notice that in verse 45? This is the only place in the entire New Testament where the dead body of Jesus is called a corpse. The normal Greek word for body is soma. This is toma with a silent P on the beginning of it. And it refers to a lifeless body, what we would call a corpse. Now many Bible students believe that the Gospel of Mark was written first of all of the Gospels. We can't be sure about that, but if it is accurate, think about what this tells us. The very first written account of Jesus' body tells us He was really dead. It was a lifeless corpse. There is no doubt. I will never forget when my father died, how amazed I was at how quickly the signs of death set in. His color changed immediately. It went from being the normal color to a pale gray. He stopped breathing. It was very evident as I was in the room with him that his spirit had left his body and what I was now viewing was a corpse. There was no doubt. The eyewitnesses of Jesus' death were so certain he had really died. They called his body a corpse. Let's continue with Mark. Notice secondly that his burial matches historical details. That what actually happened in the burial of Christ is what we would expect from what took place in Jewish life in the first century. Do you know Jews were the only people commanded to bury the body of criminals with dignity? Now here's what normally would happen. Crucified victims were left to decay upon a cross. Scavengers like wild dogs or birds would come down and feed on the body and then whatever remains were left were often thrown into the city dump or into a common grave. But the Jews were told, you are not allowed to do this. In fact, uh, look at what the Old Testament instructed them in Deuteronomy 21, 22, and 23. If a man has committed a sin deserving of death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall surely bury him that day, so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance For he who is hanged is accursed of God. It's interesting, Josephus, the first century Jewish historian, has a comment on this very practice. Listen to what he wrote in the wars of the Jews. He said, the Jews are so careful about funeral rites that even malefactors who have been sentenced to crucifixion are taken down and buried before sunset. What Joseph of Arimathea did squares perfectly 
with Jewish custom and practice. And then look at the burial itself found here in verse 46. Do you know that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, who joined him from the other gospel accounts, only had about two hours to bury Jesus? Jesus died at three o'clock in the afternoon on Good Friday. By the time the body was asked for permission and taken down, probably an hour had uh, elapsed. So they had from about 4 o'clock to 6 o'clock when the Sabbath began and they could do no more work to bury the body of Jesus. And yet what did they do? Well, we just read that everything they did was what a Jewish burial would occur. In fact, uh, John in his gospel, chapter 19, verse 39 says, Nicodemus brought 75 pounds of spices. And every person reading this about being wrapped in a shroud, having the spices, being laid in a tomb, would know this fact, this was a real burial. Let's continue on. Number three. Mark tells us that three exceptional witnesses confirmed Jesus' death. Now, all of us know that trials turn on effective witnesses. If you have credible witnesses, you have a very strong case. But if you have extraordinary witnesses, you have a super strong case. We know what the Bible establishes for witnesses. It says, on the testimony of how many? Two or three, let everything be established. Now watch this very carefully. Just as we would expect, we have three very, very incredible witnesses. Mark says the centurion, Pilate, and Joseph of Arimathea all verified that Jesus' body indeed was dead. Let's look at these witnesses for just a moment. Let's look at the centurion. He was an expert witness. Look again at verse 44. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. I want you to look with me for just a moment at this sketch up on the screen. Throughout the many, many years of Roman history, this was a very common scene. Over the hundreds of years that the Romans were in power, they crucified, are you ready? Hundreds of thousands of victims. I have a question for you. How many do you think survived the cross? How many? Zero. There is not one survivor 
ever recorded. This Roman centurion had done this multitudes of times. He was an expert in death. If you were having a trial, you would want to bring someone like him in and say, can you tell us what happens to a person who has been crucified? He was an expert witness. Let's look at Pilate. Pilate was an investigating witness. The Bible tells us that Pilate was surprised to hear that Jesus was dead after six hours. Do you know many of Mark's readers would have felt the same way? It usually took two or three days for a crucified victim to die. And so Pilate was surprised after six hours. Uh, the word surprise here means to wonder, to marvel. It means to be astonished. Pilate didn't believe. So you know what he did? He investigated. He investigated. When you have a witness who says, I don't believe, but I want the facts, and therefore I am going to investigate, that is a very strong witness. What Pilate was saying is, I don't believe this, it cannot be, but the facts tell me it is so. That, my friends, is an extraordinary witness. Now, I have a question for us at this point. What are the race, what is the race of the two witnesses we have seen so far? What is their race? They are Gentiles, aren't they? What do we need now? What do we need now? If we've got two Gentiles who say he was really dead, what race do we need now to have a complete set of witnesses? Tell me, we need a what? We need a Jew. Enter Joseph of Arimathea. Now watch this with me this morning. A witness who had belonged to the opposition. When the Bible says about him in verse 43, he was a member of the council, that is talking about the Sanhedrin, the supreme court of Israel, the very ones who had put Jesus to death. Now, other gospel writers tell us that Joseph was a secret disciple. He had become a believer in Jesus. In fact, the Bible says that he did not agree to Jesus being put to death. It is possible that he was not present. He skipped that vote. Now he comes out publicly at great risk to his position and future, and he identifies with Jesus. Do you realize what a bold move that was? Do you realize the courage that it took for him to come and say, let me have the body of Jesus. 
Now here's the incredible thing. Look what was said about him before he became a believer. Look at verse 43. It says he was respected. That means especially worthy of public admiration. And when it says he was a member of the council, it has the idea he was a prominent counselor. When you have men like this who join the other side, they're not just a good witness. They are an incredible witness. He handled Jesus' body. He prepared Jesus' body. He laid Jesus' body in His own tomb. He knew Jesus is dead. Now you might say to me today, Pastor Brian, why is all of this important? And it's my original statement. Faith is built on facts. Faith is built on something that really happened. When we are asked to believe in Jesus as the one who died for our sins, we have to know that His death is according to the facts, and we have the evidence to believe He really did die. There was a wonderful Bible teacher many years ago by the name of R.A. Torrey. He was the second president of the Moody Bible Institute, and he was a teacher at the Bible Institute of Los Angeles for many years. I want you to listen to what he says. The good news is facts, not theories, not speculations, not guesses, but solid, substantial, established, unmistakable, inescapable, absolutely sure facts. What kind of facts? Let me read that again. Solid, substantial, established, unmistakable, inescapable, absolutely sure facts. We do not believe the gospel because we want it to be true. We believe the gospel because it fits the facts. That's why we believe. Let's come back. And in a few moments, Mark will take us into the empty After showing to us that the first part of the gospel is based upon real facts that we can believe, it should not surprise us that Mark then goes into the second part of the gospel. And he shows to us that Jesus really did rise from the dead. I want you to turn with me now in your Bibles and let's look at verses 1 through 8 of Mark 16. Because the question now is, if he really died, and that's what we are called to believe for our sins, then did he really rise from the dead? Let me read for you the account. 
When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now, Mark gives to us here three very simple lines of evidence that are very powerful in showing us when you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, you are believing in facts. Number one, the stone was rolled away. Number two, the body was gone. And number three, the disciples became transformed people. Let's take them in reverse for just a moment. When the Bible says in verse 8 about the women that they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid, that describes the condition of all of Jesus' followers before the resurrection really set in. They were fearful, hiding, cowardly. In fact, you know, the disciples should have been the ones who went and asked for the body of Jesus. That's what John the Baptist's disciples did when he was murdered. They came, asked for the body, and buried it. But the disciples, in their fear and cowardice, did not even do that little respect for Jesus. But what does verse 7 say? After the resurrection, Jesus met them in Galilee. And what did they become like? Bold, fearless, willing to die as martyrs. Peter on a cross, just like Jesus. We have to say, what transformed these men? The Bible says they really saw Jesus. And then the body was gone. What happened to the body? According to verses 5 and 6, it was gone. The angel said, he's risen, he's not here. Come in and examine the tomb. Do you know one widely popular theory about what happened to the body of Jesus today is that it was thrown to scavenger dogs? Liberal scholars who do not believe the Bible say what happened to Jesus' body is what happened to other victims. It was left on the cross to decay. Scavenger dogs came and fed on it. And then finally, whatever remains were left were thrown in the city dump or into a common grave. Do you know, in order to say that, you have to say that Mark made up the story of Joseph of Arimathea and inserted that into the account here. But I want to ask you a question. 
How likely would it be to make up a character who had belonged to the opposition? Right? If you are writing an account and you want people to believe something that isn't true, you would choose somebody that is more believable to your readers, not somebody unbelievable. And then think about this. Touching a dead body made a Jew what? Unclean. Let me ask you, what Pharisee would do that right before the Passover? How believable is that? It's not believable. And so, the answer to this question of what happened? Why? Where was the body? Well, clearly, it was gone. Because Joseph of Arimathea had placed it in the tomb, when the women arrived, it was gone. And then the third answer. Why was the stone rolled away? What enabled that stone to be rolled away? Did you notice as we read the account, it was the women's main concern? Now here's what the critics have said. They have said the stone in front of Jesus' tomb would have been a square, a block, because that was the most common in Jesus' day. All four Gospels tell us the stone was rolled away, so the critics say the account is inaccurate. It doesn't fit the facts of the first century. But would you listen to this? The tombs of the wealthy used rolling stones. Joseph of Arimathea was in the ruling class. He was a wealthy man. Let me show you the family tomb of Herod the Great. There it is. And look at these facts. A rolling stone, four and a half feet, is the stone that was used to seal Herod's tomb. Each gospel, all four, speaks of the stone being rolled away And the Greek word apakulio is always defined as rolled away. And then notice this detail. Even small graves needed 20 men to roll a stone downhill more than a full Roman guard of 16 men. All of this fits precisely the concern of the women on Easter morning. No wonder Mark records this as their concern. It was an impossible task. But when they arrived, the Bible says to us, the stone had been rolled back. That is a divine passive. What was impossible for the women was possible for God. He rolled the stone away. Now why does Mark delve into all this evidence? That Jesus really died, and He really rose again the third day. And isn't the reason because of this simple idea? 
evidence demands a verdict, doesn't it? You see, Jesus is on trial. Mark is the attorney. You and I are the jury. And we have to come to a verdict. Jesus Christ came and did what He did for us, and He laid out all the evidence for us because we have to decide. We cannot be neutral. Jesus said this, if you're not for me, you are against me. He said, if you don't gather with me, you scatter against me. And all of this is here to lead us to say, Jesus is on trial. The facts have been presented. What is the verdict we will render? And so this morning, what is our conclusion? Well, let me share with you what the conclusion should be. Number one, first conclusion that we are to make is this. Jesus was really God in human flesh. Only God has the power to raise Himself from the dead. Jesus said in John 10 verse 18, I have authority to lay my life down again. I have authority to take my life up again. He said, I've received this authority from my Father. Jesus is God. Spirits do not die, do they? Only beings of flesh and blood die. And after the resurrection, Jesus came to His followers and He said, A spirit does not have flesh and bones as I have. Come and touch me and see that I am a real human being. And all the evidence tells us, Jesus was really God in human flesh. Here's the second verdict that we are called on to make this morning. The second verdict is that Jesus really paid for our sins. It really paid for our sins. You see, it took one of us to represent us. And it took God to represent all of us. An infinite debt that we owed to God could only be paid by an infinite being. And the resurrection tells us that when Jesus died as the innocent one, He was not paying for His sins. He was paying for all of our sins. The founder of the Bible college that I went to was uh, Dwight L. Moody. And he one time had this to say, and I want you to notice his words and and just how accurate they are. Listen to what he said. The resurrection is the keystone of the arch on which our faith is supported. If Christ has not risen, we must impeach all those witnesses for lying. If Christ has not risen, we have no proof that the crucifixion of Jesus differed from that of the two thieves who suffered with Him. And now notice this final statement. If Christ has not risen, it is impossible to believe His atoning death was accepted. But Christ is risen. And His atoning death was accepted. 
Look at the third verdict we are to conclude. Number three, Jesus really is the only way to God. One of the greatest verses in all the Bible that summarizes the two main truths of the gospel is Romans 4.25. And this is the very best depiction of this verse and the two sides of the gospel that I was, have ever seen. Look at what Romans 4.25 says. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. He was delivered over to death for our sins. Look at the cross. He really died. He really was buried. And He did it to pay for our sins. And then look at the other side. He was raised to life so that God could accept us. Look at the empty tomb. It proves that He rose again and He rose that we might be justified in the sight of God. Both of those are needed for our salvation. Only one person fits both criteria. That is Jesus Christ. Only one person is the only way to God. The Lord Jesus Christ. Bow your hearts together with me. If you are a believer here this morning, would you say to the Savior, thank you. Thank you. You may have come to know Him as a small child. And you didn't know all the evidence that was laid out for your faith. But the older you have become, the more that you have looked at the truth about what really happened, you know your faith is well grounded. And in the times when things are not going in your life the way that you'd hoped they would go, when the tragedies and the disappointments have come along and knocked you off your feet, One thing you know for sure, you can stand on the facts. Jesus is God in human flesh. He came to provide an eternal sacrifice that has been accepted by the Father. He's the only way to God. He is my Savior, my Lord, and I will see Him in heaven one day. You can say thank you. If you are here today and you are not sure where you stand with the Lord, all the evidence has been presented to you. And if you would say, well, Pastor, I'm not really ready at this point to make a decision. I, I think I'm just going to sort of wait. I want you to understand, you cannot be neutral. Jesus calls us to a verdict. And today we must say He is who He claimed to be or He is not. 
Let me give you the opportunity to come to Him now. Let me give you the chance to be sure that Christ is your Savior and your Lord. You can say something like this to Him, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And in myself, I am unacceptable to You. But I believe who You are. I believe that You are God came in human flesh. You went to the cross to pay the penalty for my sins and You rose again. And you can say, Lord, right now I'm repenting. I'm turning from my own way and I'm turning to You. I'm coming to the foot of the cross. Lord Jesus, You can say, I'm placing my trust in You now as the living Savior. Come into my life and be my Savior. Come into my heart and be my Lord. Forgive me of my many sins. Give me life eternal. Make me a child of God. And now, Lord, you may say, knowing that I will not follow you perfectly and I will be forgiven by you many times in the days to come. Yet with all of my heart, the direction of my life this day changes. And I am now a follower of Christ. And then you may say, Lord Jesus, thank you for saving me. Lord God, what a wonderful foundation is laid for our faith. The more that we examine it, the more that we study it, we come to really see that faith is believing in something because you are really confident that it is true. And Christ died for our sins and was buried according to the Scriptures. And He was raised again to life on the third day. And today we believe He's a risen Savior pleading the merits of His death before the throne of God at this very moment coming again in great power and glory. And we will see Him and rule and reign with Him. Draw men and women, boys and girls today to Him, high and lifted up. In His name we pray. Amen.